Welcome to People Helping People, the podcast to inspire greater social change and give you ideas on how to take action. I'm your host, Adam Morris, and today I am very excited for our guest, Ashley Connell, to join us. She's the founder of Progress Project, which at its heart is an employment agency for women getting back into the workforce. But holistically, they build relationships and use skill development and EQ to create the right opportunity and fit for better employment. So, Ashley, welcome on the podcast. Hello, so excited to be here. Thank you. Can we start off? Can you tell us a little bit about what the Prowess Project is? <laughs> Absolutely. So it may help if I actually tell you my story first, and, yeah. and then we can dive into what it is. I think it will make more sense. So just a bit about me. Background is B2B tech marketing. I did that for 13 years, went from startup in Austin, Texas. They moved me over to London to open the European office, which was an amazing experience, came back stateside, bounced around to a couple other tech companies, and then did a marketing agency. Well, or started one with two other people. While I was there, I realized that this this just wasn't it. And I, I started thinking about the past 13 years, and I realized that I had all this background anxiety about how I was going to continue this career that I loved, that I moved across the world for, but then also start a family someday. And how was I going to do both? It was scary because I, I realized in that moment that I'd been making a ton of decisions unconsciously because of this, quite frankly, fear. Hmm. So for better or for worse, I jumped into Google and started looking up statistics on this. And I found the horrific statistic that, according to Harvard Business Review, if a woman is out of the workforce for just three years raising children, she loses a total of 37% of her compensation power forever. Wow. 37%. Yeah. Yeah. Cannot get it back. And uh, it, I mean, you can see how this is very quickly millions of dollars for some women. And, and I was like, oh, okay, but surely like that can't be that many, that much percent of women. No, it's 43% of all women this happens to. And reading that, I was so just, at first I was disgusted. I was like, how is this, at the time it was 2018, how was this real still? And started looking for solutions, couldn't find any. Then I started talking to hundreds of women who were in this scenario. So these were women who are educated, experienced, took off two or three years to raise their children. And most of them were in their second year of trying to get back in. And all they could get were free unpaid internships. It was wild. Wild, Amazing. wild, wild. So ask them what they needed to return. And this is what gave me the light bulb for prowess. They said the number one barrier to reentry was confidence. And because of that, they weren't able to take the next steps in order to get a new job. So with that, I teamed up with my COO, Leah Steinkirk, a returner herself, and we created Prowess Project. What it is a platform and we're helping women get back into the workforce. We are starting with caregivers who are hungry to return and we take these women from home to hired. So we provide this clear path that is first 
confidence training, goal setting. How do you figure out what you want to go do? Then it is workplace readiness or upskilling. So this is project management, the latest technology. How do you work remote in these COVID days? And then also a professional network of women just like them. So Mm. they can ask each other questions and swap tips. And then lastly, with all of the data that we've gathered throughout their entire journey, we use that in a job matching technology. So we're matching them up with jobs based on not only their skill and expertise, but also their behavior style, their communication style, their learning style, their values. And we're matching that up with the team that they would be joining. So all in all, a clear path to take them, like I said, from home to hired. And we're seeing that employers are loving it because it's cutting their um, time to hire and time to ramp up in half. And they just get these really quality, quality people who fit their organization. That's fantastic. And some of those pieces make a a lot of sense, just coming in and helping people understand what their purpose is and what they want to do and helping top up some of those skills that maybe they need to be successful. I'd love to dive in a little bit to the this last piece of this kind of behavioral fit. And because it seems like there's some real magic there of finding the right place for somebody. Can you tell me a little bit more of what goes into that? Absolutely. If you take a step back, like I said, I, I went and talked to all of those women who were returning, but in hiring, it takes two to tango. So I also went out and talked to all of these hiring managers. And I was asking several questions, not just why are you not hiring returners, but what do you hate about hiring in general? And what I heard over and over again is the hiring process, and in particular, the resume is doing a bigger disservice than actually helping. And so when you dive into that, as a hiring manager and or recruiter, you get thousands of resumes then looking at just the hard skills in the resume, like where they went to school or potentially what skills are listed, then you take that 2,000, let's say, to maybe 10 you get on the phone with. How do you possibly do that and think that this 10 out of the 2,000 are going to be the right person for your team that you spend more time with than you do your family? And, And so I just feel like, The resume, because it focuses on hard skills, just is antiquated. And we need to be thinking more about the emotional intelligence and the behavior fit. So because of all of that, that's why we have added into this matching algorithm all the different emotional intelligence indicators and whatnot. It sounds like that takes into account a little bit on what's on the employer side as well, like what their team personality is and how they work together to determine that fit. So taking this a step further, people come in, they do this assessment, they find you know where they're a good fit. I'm curious if there's anything on the employer side that people need to do in order to just realize what potential is or adapt roles to to work with women who are coming back. So... Great question. Oftentimes when we're hiring, it's on top of our day job. And so I I completely understand why the top five things that oftentimes you want are, does she or he know this program? 
has she done this certification? Does he or she have 10 years of experience doing exactly this? That makes perfect sense. But when you dive into the data, actually, it's a lot easier to teach someone those skills than to teach them how to work well with people. Mm. And we're finding that CEOs everywhere are actually putting more and more dollars. It's 80% of CEOs everywhere are putting more and more training dollars and emphasis on emotional intelligence when hiring and doing learning trainings than they are the hard skills because they're seeing how critical that fit is and how critical empathy and nurturing is in the workplace. Is is that something that people can really learn and, and develop and grow in? Absolutely. And we we talk about that a lot. I think oftentimes in our society, we don't think a lot about emotional intelligence or when we do, we feel like it's very squishy mm. and, and it's hard to put words to it or even language to it. And so I think to answer your question about how do companies open their eyes to this type of philosophy, I think it first has everything to do with understanding what empathy is and its place in the workforce. When you first understand that, then what's so great about it is you can assign words to it, like create language with it. And then once you create language with it, you can then point it out in real life, in the wild, when you see it, when you see someone using empathy, when you see someone not using empathy and reward them accordingly. And so examples like that are a lot of what we are assessing on the employer side when we are doing the matching, understanding what that dynamics of the team is, and in particularly the manager, so that we can make a good fit for everyone. And it sounds like you're not only looking for where there's a good fit, but also educating employers on on different ways that they could work with women. I read one testimonial about a conversation with an employer where you were like, hey, you could hire somebody part-time. Here's a great pool of, of people who could do that work. So how does that fit into your approach of working with employers? Great, great question. So we started this in early, early 2019. And as you can imagine, for the first year, we got a fair bit of resistance when it came to, no, I need someone 40 hours a week and I need them butts in seats, cannot be remote. This is what I need. And as you can probably imagine, this little thing called COVID-19 hit. And overnight in 2020, between what was it, like March 5th to March 6th, (laughs) we saw this explosion of companies being like, oh my God, remote is the future. Like we have to do this. And oh, not only is remote the future, in order to retain this talent that we have and get new talent, Flexibility is key. It's number one priority for all of these people in the workforce. And what we actually found from COVID is March, April, May were top months for us because companies were understood like, oh, these people that Prowess have, not only if I hire them, I'm going to get the best bang for my buck because these are untapped, very talented women but I don't have to hire them for 40 hours a week. I don't have to give them benefits. 
there are some that want 10 hours and that's perfect for me right now. And so we saw that huge benefit shift overnight. So COVID almost helps change that conversation because it forced people to see, yeah, actually working remote does work. (laughs) It's not an issue. Right. And here's a whole population that I can work with. Are there any changes that employers need to to do in their own culture to work with people who are part-time or any anything on the employer side to make that fit better? I think it goes back to emotional intelligence and then two key buckets of that. First would be empathy, right? I think on both ends, not just the employer, I think the the talent or employee too needs to understand where the other person's coming from, needs to just take their shoes off and put on shoes of someone else to better understand what their life looks like and the pressure and the outside of work pressures, again, on both sides. But and once that is done, I think it opens this really beautiful moment of communication. Mm-hmm. And I think often when companies hire people or when companies are looking for talent, like I said before, they're looking a lot at the hard skills, which absolutely 100% are necessary. But if you were even asking questions like, how do you like to be communicated with? Are you a phone person? Are you a Slack person? Are you an email person? What types of days are off limits for you? I think even having that understanding and that conversation at the very beginning is so critical that oftentimes we miss out on. And then those are the little annoyances that start off as just something silly and end up becoming this massive like elephant in the room for a lot of relationships in the workforce. And that may it may sound silly in in a tiny problem but you would be surprised at how quickly that snowballs. Got it. So really having conversations up front about just styles of working and and making sure that those are a good fit, but also that there are clear expectations and understanding on both sides of here's how we're going to work best together. Exactly. And I think too, that is a very stark difference than a lot of us as entrepreneurs or managers or whomever hiring managers have ever hired before. And so I also think that it's up to companies like Prowess to put out content and put out how-tos for employers to better understand how to do that. Mm. And so that's one thing that we definitely do. Like Again, when solving this problem of women in the workforce, I was very adamant about being intentional in solving the problem on both sides. There has to be a business reason for or to hire these women. And that in order to remove any friction, it's Prowse's job to help educate these employers and to help give them resources in order to do that. And then on the flip side with the women coming in, it sounds like you're very intentional about building relationships with them and so that they have some peer support. I've always noticed this, like if you look at successful CEOs, they're part of Vistage or they have some kind of peer group mechanism where they're supporting each other. And that often doesn't exist for people at other levels of a company. So can you tell me a little bit how people support each other through Progress Project? Absolutely. It started with, when I was talking about before we do the goal setting and the upskilling. So what that's called at Prowess is our Prowess certification. 
that is a 16 hour course that women go through. What we found the most beneficial for the talent who were going through this was the cohort that they go through the certification with that they meet with two times a week. And we said, hey, this is y'all's time. We will give you an agenda should you need to, but do not feel like you need to follow it. Feel free to just talk. You can vent, you can ask questions, you can celebrate. Whatever that looks like, that is your time. And from that, we just saw all of these relationships budding. And I will say one of the best days as the CEO of Prowess Project thus far is when I found out that there were two women who lived six hours apart, each got into their car and drove halfway just to have lunch. This wow. was pre-COVID. <laughs> Pre-COVID. But, but just seeing how quickly and how tight those relationships became just a huge eye-opener for us. And we're like, okay, how do we do this at scale? And, mm. and not just for women who are taking the certification. And then, and because of all of that, we launched the Prowess community. Like I said, in addition to the certification, we now have this social network where female professionals can go in and like I said, ask each other questions. We have a book club in there. We have a group of women who are all going through Salesforce training together. We have a group of Brene Brown fans. The it, it, <laughs> spectrum is massive. So anyway, yeah, it, it's just been amazing to watch and amazing to watch that community grow. That seems really important, especially in a year like this. I've noticed just feedback from the Columbus community of how hard it is to meet new people and, and to have that kind of networking or those kind of conversations where you start talking about something that's important to you and you can find somebody to bounce ideas off of and, and share and grow from that. Exactly. Exactly. How do people actually get involved with it? So it sounds like one, people can come to the certification and get part of it, but this community is something that's open to a, a larger base as well. Correct. So it was really important too that when we were creating Prowess that we were meeting women where they are in their journey. That was one thing that came up over and over again that quote unquote success does not look the same for every woman. For example, one woman who had been out, she wanted to get back in for 10 hours a week so that she could still have a really big role in the PTA. Awesome. Let's help her find a 10 hour a week job. On the other end, we had a woman who was on a partner track at a consulting company. She was out for two or three years. She wanted to get right back into that partner track and she was ecstatic to work 60 hours a week again. And so because of that, we have several stops along the journey, like bus stops. So yes, you can hop into our community for absolutely free, go in and get our resources, access to experts. We have events, we have Q and A's, et cetera. If you need that extra training is really what the certification is. You absolutely can go that direction as well. And then from there, you decide, okay, what makes most sense to me? Am I ready to join the job pool 
and start getting matched up with companies. And so again, it's all these different ways that these women can choose their own adventure when it comes to getting back in. Because everyone is different and they come from different places. Another thing that I'm, I'm really curious about is I've had so many conversations around the glass ceiling and it's okay, how do women get into CEO positions or more senior positions that have a bigger impact? What I've seen is when you have women in leadership positions, that's a great mentorship position for somebody else as a beacon. So when those mentors don't exist, it's just, it's very hard for, for people to grow and develop in that direction. I'm curious what you've learned about what's needed in a workplace environment to, to help equalize opportunity between men and women. Absolutely. So completely agree with you. You can't be what you can't see. And we see that as prowess over and over again. There's also statistics that if you do have women in leadership, they are three times more likely to hire more women which is fantastic. When we look at, hey, if you have at least three women in leadership in a company, that increases your profit by 15%. So it, it makes the argument for more women in the workforce is just uh, hands down benefits everyone. To answer your question of how do we do that? This is not a women helping women only scenario. We desperately need male allies to make this happen. We need people like you who will have people like me on their podcast and allow my voice and my story to be heard. Also, I think what is really crucial, and I don't believe it's talked about enough, when you have a, a work scenario, I think, yes, you need a you need three different types of people in order to be successful. You need your manager, you need your mentor, and you need a sponsor. Mm -hmm. And what someone said once that made perfect sense to me was your manager talks at you, your mentor talks with you, your sponsor talks for you. And that's how we can really change and bring more women into leadership is by more women asking and educating their superiors, men or women, about sponsorships. What that means is if you are a sponsor, you are actively opening up the door and grabbing another chair and bringing that woman into the meeting. You are thinking about her when someone else says, hey, I had this opportunity. You are pinpointing side projects that she can go tackle so that she has more experience under her belt. That's what a sponsor is. And I think that is super, super critical for changing what leadership looks like today. Got it. Now, for a company that doesn't have any inbuilt mentorship or sponsorship, what are some things people can do to put that in place? As you can imagine, it starts small, right? I, when I'm talking to mentors or asking someone if they're interested in being a mentor, it is rare. I don't think I've ever heard a no. People want to give back because oftentimes they have had someone who gave them that chance. And so I think even by the first thing that needs to happen is just saying, hey, is anyone interested in this? 
And I have a mentor who said this once to me, and it really opened my eyes. She's this high profile female CEO. I remember sitting there the first time with her and I was oh my God, she's amazing. I was nervous. The whole thing, what is she going to think about me? And she sat there and we were having lunch and, and at the end, she just said, you know what? Thank you. And I was like, thank you. And she said, I want you to know that you are mentoring me just as much as you think I'm mentoring you. And she said that if you don't have someone much younger than you or less experienced as you, as your mentor, you are missing out. It only helps. And that really opened my eyes and made me think of these mentor relationships as more of a two-way street mm-hmm. and, and less of a... I don't know, as a one of them's on a pedestal and the other is just dying for their attention. And I, I don't know, I think that when you frame it like that, it's really, I think it's really important. And I think it makes both sides very excited to get involved. So really just understanding that if you're looking for a mentor, realizing that you have as much to contribute to them as you're going to gain from that relationship. So making sure that it goes both ways. Exactly. And and obviously not in a, oh, you should be talking to me kind of way. <laughs> you could be a better CEO if you only did this. Yeah. That's probably not going to fly. But <laughs> um, I, I say that just so when women or men, whomever are asking for mentors, they come in with um, a bit more confidence because know that they're wanted in the room as well. I love that. Now I have a question. Do you have any women who are starting out and are looking to become entrepreneurs come through the Prowess Project? Absolutely. And what's really interesting about Prowess, and this didn't dawn on me until probably a year or two in, the way that it works is Again, these women, they come through the certification or come through the community and we match them up with jobs. They, oftentimes they are 1099. So they're independent contractors. And that gives them the taste of what it would be like to be an entrepreneur. And it gives them the taste. They understand, okay, this is what this is like. And it's amazing how many of them are like, wow, I'm starting a whole consulting business. This is amazing. Or they say, wow, this actually is much more approachable than I thought. I've always wanted to start a Etsy shop. I absolutely can do this. And then it grows massively from there. I feel like I have this conversation a lot of they're working somewhere and they they, they want to start something on their own and they get stuck because they just don't know where to begin or or how to make that shift. So they try to start something on the side, but it's hard to get enough volume or enough attention to get something off the ground. I feel like there's something missing there to say, here's a direction you can go in to actually start building something. So I'm just curious what you've seen work or or what paths people have taken in that. Absolutely. I'll take my own experience because obviously Prowess started off, you know, small (laughs) at at one point. Um, It started off as a side project and I joined what's called Founder Institute. What is the Founders Institute? Founder Institute is a global program and they have local chapters. What their goal is to take a company from idea to incorporated in four months. And I absolutely loved it. It was fantastic because it felt like getting a crash course in an MBA. But then once I got out of this quote unquote MBA, I had a business. 
I had a growing business that was making revenue. It was, it was fantastic. And not just that, because that's huge in itself. But I also had this global network worldwide of people who are part of the Founder Institute, either program as an entrepreneur or a mentor. And just two or three weeks ago, my COO and I, we went through all of our accounts and figured out how they originally came to us, like what we could attribute. 75% came from Founder Institute in some way, shape or form. Oh, wow. That is a powerful network. <laughs> it, it was phenomenal. And so I, I say that because definitely look into accelerator programs, incubator programs. Not all are created equal. So definitely do your vetting. But it's amazing to see how quickly you can create something. What did that four-month program look like? What were some of the things that went on in there? Oh, man, it was brutal. So their whole goal is to graduate the best of the class. So they will have, I think we had 40 on the first day of the program. It's a, like I said, four-month program. You meet once a week for three to four hours. Started with 40 people, graduated. 40 people, 40 companies graduated with six people, six companies because entrepreneurship isn't easy and you get told no 99% of the time all day, every day. And so it was very cutthroat in saying, hey, look, your pitch sucked or hey, look, no, this doesn't make sense or hey, no, what you're saying there isn't working or hey, no, you're not listening to what that person actually said who could be your customer. Why are you not considering changing? And having that tough love and people pinpointing opportunity, but also your pitfalls was huge. Mm. Absolutely huge. And, and you might say that's brutal, but you know, I think one of the biggest pitfalls people can fall into is falling in love with an idea that's just not going to work and running with it for way too long. So if you can, in a short period of time, cut down and figure out, is this idea viable or not? And you get to the answer that's no. That's great. You just saved a lot of time, effort, and energy, and you can move on to the next thing. 100%. That's what happened with Prowess. So I started, and I had a completely different company when I started the program. It was called Noteworthy Meetings. It was all about meeting dysfunction. But because the program made me go out and talk to people and see what they wanted and see what they would pay for and how much they would pay for, I realized my idea was a discomfort, not a pain. People pay to get rid of pain, not discomfort. And that's how I shifted and migrated to prowess. And I'm so grateful to them because, yeah, now, now we're here. <laughs> that's just a, such a great example of going out and validating your idea and talking with as many people as you can to really understand what their needs are. But I also think you have to be really careful that you're not leading the witness when you're having those conversations. It's very hard for people to tell you that your baby is ugly. And oftentimes that I would ask a question the wrong way. Wouldn't you love if, duh, by saying that, they're not going to say no. Like, <laughs> they're not going to say, oh, I wouldn't love this idea that you have. And, and instead, you just ask, 
you ask a question and then you ask why five times and then you get down to the root and the meat of what the actual problem is and how you can better solve it. So going in and not putting a proposition before somebody to say, hey, is this great? <laughs> but exactly. Exactly. Do you have issues around this? Why do you have that? Oh, why does that happen? And just asking that why. I've heard that ask why five times and you often get to the root of an issue. Thank you. So bringing it back to the Prowess Project, what are some of the things that you have coming up on the horizon? One thing that happened as a silver lining from COVID is we were growing very quickly at the beginning, like I was saying. And then over the summer, there was a bit of a lull. Because of that lull, that gave me a really good opportunity to go out and talk to 80 different companies who are also looking to help women in the workforce. And because I had all of those conversations, we will be rolling out a partnership program so that all of these women can get the benefits of what all of those companies are doing as well. And I say it's just for the women. It's not. It's also on the hiring manager side too, just bringing a a one-stop shop that you can go to, hey, go to Prowess Project and just get access to all sorts of solutions to solving your problem. Can you tell me a little bit more of what that's going to look like? So what it's going to look like in the beginning is a partner corner, if you will. Think aside from the partner program, we're going to spend a lot more time bringing more experts and resources into our community and spend a lot more time trying to reach more women and tell them about this solution. So that's going to be really huge for us. And then this is exciting. We brought on a behavior scientist to take our algorithm, our matching algorithm even further and even better those matches. So yeah, a lot of stuff in store. Awesome. So what are some ways that people can get involved? Absolutely. If you are a woman who is not just returning to the workforce after a break, this could be any woman who either wants to pivot or isn't sure what she wants to do next, or maybe wants to go remote or really just is at a crossroads and isn't sure what they want. We have, like I said before, many bus stops along the route of doing that. And so they can hop in our community for free. That's prowesscommunity.com. They can jump into the certification or other online trainings. And then we have this job matching and we can help them find jobs. On the employer side, we have so many amazing, talented women in our community. I can't even tell you, run, do not walk to Prowess Project because (laughs) they're just like chomping at the bit. And we're seeing that the employers are just loving us and and we'll do what we can to, to really find you the best fit. And you have a sponsorship program as well, right? You're exactly right. With the certification, there is some one-on-one coaching. And um, obviously, we need to pay the coaches for that. And so there is a fee that comes with it. It's $350. Women have so many barriers to reentry, especially after COVID-19, when 5.4 million women were pushed out of the workforce because of lack of childcare. 
and managing both home and work. And so we have just opened up a sponsorship program where either companies or individual donors can sponsor these women to take our certification and get back into the workforce. We have seen that 66% of women who have taken the certification have found jobs in three months. So huge success rate, and we do everything we can to support them. And so I'm just really excited to see people who want to get involved with Prowess and are very passionate about women in the workforce and equality be able to help. You know, some of the listeners don't realize what this looked like. If somebody was a single mother and had worked to get out of poverty, then last year when childcare shut down, they were losing their jobs very quickly because it was either a choice of I take care of my kid or I give up my job. Like they didn't have a choice. And when you're teetering on that level of income, then slipping back into poverty, it's like falling back down a pit and you have to climb out again. So just something that especially hits single mothers and that lower income really hard. In just December, it was 140,000 women lost their jobs compared to men who gained them. To your point, it's just hitting women of color, in particular, single moms, so hard. And we want to do what we can. I love what you're doing. And and especially right now, just being able to find the right opportunities for people that fits into the schedule in their life is so critical because I think it's like the world has this old model of working and it's, we need to change it and and flip it around. And there's so many things that work better. That's what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yes, we are doing that. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's just been lovely to dive into all these different perspectives, but understanding that you have from working in this. Absolutely. It's been really fun. I've had a great time. (laughs) For anyone who's listening, please check out prowessproject.com and the prowesscommunity.com. Correct. And uh, you can look in the show notes on people helping people for other resources. We'll post them there. And thank you very much for, for being on the podcast today. Oh my gosh. It's been awesome. So fun. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.